In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Some of you are familiar with the Church of St. Mary the Virgin in Midtown. It's the church where I first served as deacon and priest. It's sometimes known as St. Mary's Times Square because it's on 46th Street, just off Times Square. It's often known as Smoky Mary's because their goal, I think, is to obscure seeing the priest with so much smoke from incense in the church. It's an interesting place. It goes through the whole block, and a lot of Midtown Manhattan uses it kind of as a holy corridor, uh, 7 to 7 p.m. weekdays, and walks through that church and says hello to their favorite saint or nods to their favorite window. If you know that church or if you go in it at some point, on the right, there's a little chapel. There's several chapels, but the one in the middle is my favorite. Um, it's strangely shaped. It's, it's wider than it is long. And so it's a little odd to begin with. But then just over the altar, what attracts the eye usually is um, this, this magnificent roundel, sort of in the style of Della Robbia. Um, and when you look at it, you see two people holding hands and a man standing behind them, between them. It turns out it's Mary and Joseph getting married. And the man behind them is the priest presiding over the wedding. It's a lovely image to imagine what that moment must have been like between Mary and Joseph. Um, That chapel, appropriately enough, is often nicknamed the nuptial chapel, and it's a perfect place for small weddings. But its official name is the St. Joseph Chapel. And I'm told there used to be a proper statue to St. Joseph. Uh, Joseph is portrayed wearing workers' clothes, and in one hand he has um, a ruler, and in the other a T-square. And so he's looking very much like the patron saint of workers, and especially carpenters. The problem is the chapel and the church underwent a massive renovation some years ago, and Joseph went missing. No one knows what happened, whether a worker decided he needed a little extra patron saint care and took him home with him, or whether um, Joseph ended up in an antique store, or maybe Joseph, heaven forbid, was thrown out with the rubble. No one knows. Maybe he'll turn up one day. But in some ways, that image of the missing statue, the missing Joseph, Um, sums up a lot about poor Joseph. He's largely gone missing from church history, uh, from tradition, even from the Christmas story. Think about all the Christmas pageants going on in so many churches. Everybody wants to be Mary. Who wants to be Joseph? Not many. Joseph doesn't give us much to go on in the Gospels. Of course, there's no story of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of John. So, of course, there's no Joseph there. Joseph doesn't appear in the Gospel of Mark. He shows up a little bit in Luke, and we'll hear about that as we move toward Christmas. But in the Gospel appointed for this year, the Gospel we just read from, Matthew, we do get a little more. 
Joseph appears in Matthew's gospel at the very beginning in what is by far the most favorite part of scripture for many people, the genealogy. It just goes on and on and on with this person and then another person and another person. But Matthew has his point to begin with the genealogy. He's underscoring the humanity of Jesus, that that Jesus, <coughs> mystery though he is, is from somewhere. He's from some people. And so there in this long, holy list of people is Joseph, the father of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, Joseph appears again when he's told to take Mary and the baby Jesus to Egypt for safety. And then later in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel, we learn finally that Joseph is a carpenter. But that's really all we're given. That wasn't enough for the early church. As people wondered about Joseph, Uh, They wondered about Jesus' family, and so they came up with explanations, which eventually were spread as legend. To preserve the idea of Mary's virginity, there was a tendency to imagine Joseph as being much, much older. Um, It was explained that perhaps Joseph had been married previously and had children by another wife who died. And that's why later in the gospel, when Jesus' brothers and sisters show up, they're stepbrothers and stepsisters. And so sometimes you'll hear Joseph referred to as the foster father to Jesus all in an effort to preserve the idea that Mary was a virgin, that this birth was really unusual. But in art and comedy and legend, Joseph often is not only portrayed as as very, very old, but also a little daft, a little slow, um, a little hollow, removed from the action, the absent father, not an essential player. And yet again, Matthew decides Joseph is important enough to have him at the very beginning of his gospel, back in that genealogy. What Matthew is doing is trying to remind us of another Joseph. Think the Old Testament. Think the Hebrew scriptures. Joseph is huge. Joseph, for the Hebrew people, is an enormous figure. It was Joseph who appears in Genesis to do so much that would significantly change the future of Israel. This Joseph reminds us of that earlier Joseph. In the Middle Ages, St. Bernard drew the connection explicitly. He writes, that first Joseph had the gift of interpreting the hidden secrets of dreams. The second Joseph not only knew heavenly mysteries, but even participated in them. The first Joseph stored up grain for himself, for his family, and for all the people. The second Joseph is given charge of the bread come down from heaven for his sake and the sake of the world. To the second Joseph, the father of Jesus, it was given not only to see and to hear what many kings and prophets had longed to see, but even to carry the little king of kings, to take him by the hand, to hug and kiss him, to feed him and to keep him safe. St. Matthew's Gospel not only puts Joseph in this long tradition of people who bring us Jesus. But Matthew tells us a little bit about Joseph. We're told that Mary and Joseph are betrothed. 
Now, this was the first of a two-step kind of marriage agreement and process. The betrothal is very different from a simple engagement. The betrothal was almost legal. Promises had been made. And so a lot is jeopardized when Joseph learns that Mary might have broken that promise. No wonder, then, he thinks about divorcing her quietly. And yet he has the dream the dream in which the angel says, do not fear. Do not fear, the angel says to Joseph. But if it reverberated for him, it probably reverberates for us. Do not fear, God says to Moses. Do not fear, the angel said to Gideon. Do not fear, Boaz said to Ruth. Do not fear, David said. Do not fear, Isaiah said. Do not fear, as the angels say to Elizabeth. Do not fear, as the angel says to Mary. The angel tells Joseph that this child is to be born of the Spirit of God, the the very breath of God, that Spirit, that same Spirit that hovered over the creation at the beginning, that whispered wisdom into the lives of the faithful in every generation, and, and now has overshadowed and filled and claimed Mary. The angel says his name should be Jesus. Jesus, a variation of Joshua. And so again, the the Hebrew scriptures are being fulfilled in this new Joshua, this Jesus Joshua. Just as Moses had been chosen by God to bring God's people out of slavery, now John the Baptist is the new Moses to bring God's people out of the slavery of sin. Just as Moses had prepared things, but Joshua continued them and finished them. So in the New Testament, John the Baptist prepares and starts, but Jesus, the new Joshua, finishes. Somehow the importance of this history and tradition resonates with Joseph in his dream. And so when he wakes up, he does so with new faith, that he's able to do what the angel has commanded. We miss a lot if we overlook Joseph, I think. We miss two things in particular that are so important for our own lives in faith. First of all, Joseph was religious. Now, I know that's not a popular word these days. So many people identify as spiritual and not religious. And I get it. I understand. I understand completely that sense of of divorcing from any institution, any dead ritual, any silly old minister or priest babbling about nonsense and superstition. I get it. But what is being spiritual if it's free-floating and disassociated. Religion comes from the Latin word religare, which means to bind or to tie. It doesn't mean necessarily to bind up as a captive, but to remain tied to, to remain tethered, to remain rooted, to have a touchstone, to have a place to call home. If we are religious, then we we have something that provides a framework for us, at least something to argue with, some place of reference to agree with or to disagree with. 
but to remind us again and again that we're part of something larger than ourselves. Joseph had this. We see it. Joseph was faithful to the Hebrew scriptures. He was faithful to the teachings he learned from the synagogue, the temple. It's because Joseph was faithful that he wanted to follow the law and divorce Mary. But notice he wanted to do it quietly. He didn't want to embarrass her or put her in a bad place, simply to do it quietly. I think we can claim part of Joseph's spirit whenever we dare to be religious. Uh, Yes, to argue with institutions. Yes, to protest them sometimes. Yes, to question all authority. But to remain tied to something larger than ourselves, which often in this fallen world is represented in the church more or less. Joseph reminds us that we are religious when we do the right thing, when we remember the teachings, when we're in touch with those around us and their beliefs. And so Joseph is religious, and he finds God partly in his religion. But Joseph is also open for God's spirit to interrupt that system and that flow and that tradition. Joseph is open to dreams, to religious experience, to to mystical experience even. Though for Joseph, his vision from God comes in a dream, it might have surely just as come when he was working, while he was walking down the road, while he was visiting Mary. Sometimes we talk about those who've had visions as though they're, they're God's particularly chosen ones. But if you're able to get folks to really be honest, so many of us have heard something from God. We may question it. We may doubt it. We may not dare tell anyone else what we heard. But God visits more of us than you would think. Joseph is open to God's visit. He's, he's able to put everything he's learned and been taught aside in order to experience God in this dream, in this new way. And that's a huge part of having a religious experience. It's simply being open, being open to God to reach us in some new way. Do we ever allow God space? Do we ever allow God time? Do we allow God the opportunity to revise our plans? If, if Joseph was a carpenter of any kind, he surely knew, a, knew what it was to have a plan and to follow it out. And if he was any good at all, he probably stuck to that plan. But also, as a carpenter, he would have known that sometimes the situation calls for creative action. If there's a knot in the middle of the wood, you go around it, or perhaps you make something different. If the wood is drier or more moist than you imagine, then perhaps you have to shift gears. And so perhaps Joseph's work prepared him to be open to God's spirit in some new way. Joseph could have said, no, 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 this doesn't figure. It doesn't work with the measurements, the calculations, with the expectations, with the materials. Um, Can't do it, won't do it. (laughs) Instead, he was open. He was flexible. And he had this profound religious experience that would guide him the rest of his life. 
Joseph is the patron saint of carpenters and workers in general. He reminds us that the history of faith is not so much about saints who accomplished miracles or who led extraordinarily holy lives apart from the world. Rather, the church is so often made up of quiet, stable saints like Joseph who show up, who do the right thing, who listen to God and do their best. The church is made up of people like Joseph who work hard, who allow God to break into their lives, and who in the totality of their lives are able to point to Jesus in some way. There's a hymn for St. Joseph's Day in our hymnal. It comes from the 17th century And it puts it well when it sings, Christ in whose presence hosts of hell must tremble, ruler of all things, Lord of earth and heaven, monarch of of monarchs, to his earthly father freely was subject. To God eternal be all praise and glory, who to St. Joseph gave supernal honor. Grant that we also may, like him, be faithful in our obedience. As we move more deeply into the mystery and the wonder of Christmas, we will continue to have occasions to pay honor and respect to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. That is good and appropriate. But may we also, more and more of us, reclaim and remember St. Joseph so that with him and all the saints, we might continue to point to Jesus, to Emmanuel, to God with us, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.